But I don't. I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won, or but. I really gave it my all, so that for me is enough. Hi everybody, welcome back to the Body Serve. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. And we haven't been with you for about three weeks since the end of Wimbledon. Uh, the Olympics happened. Mm -hmm. I, I heard they happened. I didn't really see much evidence of them, to be honest. Listen, we have been in and out of so much the yeah. last three weeks. You went home so to I, see your parents for the first time since the pandemic, since Christmas 2019. Yeah, yeah. So I was able to cross the border into the U.S. for the first time since the pandemic started. It was great. Hopefully we will be able to do it more often soon. But uh, needless to say, I had some more important things but I just want to be 100, as usual. We're not really that into the Olympics, like as a tennis event. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think the disclaimer here is that this is going to be a wing job. Because a wing job. A wing job. Because we've just been dipping our toes into many different things that will appear in this agenda, but nothing with uh, the usual... Rigor? Fine-toothed comb. <laughs> because... I also have been back to work for the first time. It was also, what, the, the first time in years we'd spend that much time apart? What do they say? Mm -hmm. The absence makes the heart grow fonder? Mm -hmm. That's what they say. Has there Did been, it? Has there been <laughs> an adjudication on that front? <laughs> do we Have we decided what is well, the case? Well, we're still here and we're still <laughs> laughing together. So this is, I would say, going to be a lot less structured than most of our episodes. We're just going to kind of talk through the past few weeks in tennis and we're just gonna talk period it's a wing job oh right we're just gonna do it so uh naomi osaka surprisingly lit the olympic torch the mm -hmm. cauldron that japan almost let slip because this was a pretty big surprise or it was meant to be mm -hmm. and initially they had scheduled her to play the next day the next morning and then at the last minute they changed the schedule to accommodate her so I guess some people guessed it. I wasn't paying close enough attention to guess these things. When that news hit that her schedule had been changed from not opening play, right? She was supposed to open up the first day of tennis play, I think. And then it was like, well, she's been scrapped from that day's play. And then people started to be like, ooh, what's going on? I honestly, it didn't even occur to me that that might have been what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. It was like, she's probably involved in the ceremony in some way. And then... There she went. <laughs> it's, you know, it's been a very interesting few months for Naomi as far as pulling out of Roland Garros, then not playing Wimbledon, having a lot of successes in business, uh, mm -hmm. being on the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition, which still exists, having her Netflix docuseries come out. Which we'll talk about later on. A bunch of like on. product launches that I haven't really uh, kept up with, but... Mm -hmm. She is uh, always in the talk, mm -hmm. as uh, the gold medalist likes to say. Naomi has become a superstar and has become kind of this emblem for Generation Z, which we'll talk about a little bit later when talking about the documentary. 
the documentary. Oh my god! Oh my god. That's such a upstate New York thing. <laughs> See, I was there and I, I caught. And man, some folks, those who were already inclined to be bitter toward Naomi, she just set fire to their tears <laughs> right. with that cauldron lighting. It was like, aren't there more uh, venerated, more celebrated Japanese Olympians who could have done it? Probably. Can you name any of them? If you are going to fire off that argument, just do a, a little Wikipedia. Right. Okay, but see, <laughs> sure, if you want to get all investigative about it. But my perspective is this is Japan's Olympics. Mm-hmm. It's already an Olympics that I don't think should be happening. But it's fine. It's Japan's Olympics. Their Olympic committee should do what they want to do. If they decide right. that Naomi Osaka is of the moment and they want to have her light it and create a moment, that's on them. Anyway, the hope, at least for us, would that she'd be able to parlay that into a deep run at the Olympics and really give more heft to the title that we hoped for this episode. We haven't decided what we're going to land on yet. But like when that happened, we were like, we have a title. It set fire to their tears. I think I even tweeted about it. We were so happy with the title. But then she lost early. Right. So it's like... And and like so many things this year, uh, it just didn't go according to the script. No. For us or for Naomi. She lost to the silver medalist, mm-hmm. Marketa Vondrosova, in what was a surprising but not incredibly surprising event. A lot of headlines said, you know, the Czech number 40, whatever. But she's also, also the Czech Roland Garros runner-up only two mm-hmm. years ago. She's somebody who was flying high before injury hit. Yes. And then a pandemic hit. You know, like a lot of mitigating factors happened to stymie her rise in the game. Ash Barty, the number one player coming off the title at Wimbledon, lost to Sarah Cerebos Tormo, who is obviously a nightmare first round, but still a match that Barty was expected to win. Sure. But what we saw in Tokyo was uh, a situation where the courts were kind of wacky. The conditions were volatile. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, heat uh, was crazy. Incredibly the humidity. Hot and starting from early in the day. So mm-hmm. tennis was being played starting in the morning. It was already super hot. So much so that Novak and others lobbied to have the tennis matches start later in the day. Mm-hmm. And they were successful. Don't forget they're coming off months of playing clay, having a quick turnaround to play grass. And most of them have not played on hard courts in months at this point. And then you show up in this cauldron with a slow court. Mm-hmm. And you've just flown across the world. It's probably very exciting to be in the athlete's village. There are stresses related to COVID-19. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Just just getting there, I'm sure, was a lot. You alluded to the women's champion, who is now... I did, yeah. Who is now in the talk. We have derided her for failing to be in the talk many times and she has, she wheeled and she came again to our chagrin, yeah, to so be frank. <laughs> Belinda Bencic won the gold medal. Uh, like I said, I'm not going to lie to you on this podcast. I try not to. I did not watch a single minute of any of her matches. So I assume she played well and congrats to her. I, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I watched some of the final. But I did not mm. watch the whole thing, nor did I watch the winning moments. Like, I, I just didn't need that in my life, per se. 
Uh, no. And in case you aren't up on what the talk is, that was um, her response to Naomi Osaka's announcement about press at Roland Garros and her subsequent withdrawal mm-hmm. that Naomi likes to stay in the conversation. She she really sat in front of journalists and said Naomi Osaka likes the attention. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we took that to mean because in the absence of any further clarification from Miss Benchett, she was intentionally vague and catty about it, that she felt that Naomi's activism was for attention. Right. And so that that did not, does not, will never sit well with us. So it seems like a kind of a one-sided beef between them. Belinda clearly does not like Naomi, period. She also is close with that guy and uh, has been... Or has been close in the past. Has been vocally supportive of him through... uh, Well, so much so that she clarified something to the effect of him being a good guy on Instagram. Mm -hmm. That that was her experience. She's certainly not the only one in tennis who has done that. But when that guy won the gold medal today, we saw a lot of folks out here congratulating him in these streets when they absolutely did not have to. Yeah, so let's get to that. Unfortunately, the gold medal was not awarded this year in Tokyo. Uh, <laughs> on the men's side. Congratulations to Karen well, Hachanov. For you probably on both sides. On both sides. Congratulations to Mr. Hachanov. Uh, we're big fans. Silver medalist. Well, you're a big fan. I'm kind of neutral. Oh, okay. I like him. You know, a lot of people congratulated. Unfortunately, we do have to acknowledge that there was a gold medal awarded to mm. that man. Sloan Stevens is out here. Francis Tiafo is the, out here. The WTA posted something on Instagram that they were compelled to delete. Oh, lovely. Because of the replies. Mm-hmm. I guess it got tiring deleting them. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he does. It's been, oh, what, about nine months since the allegations against Alex Zverev came out, which was published in Racket Magazine in a story by Ben Rothenberg. It's taken a long, long time for this stuff to get traction outside of Tennis Twitter. Tennis Twitter has been talking about it since it broke, since the very moment it came out. Now we finally heard major networks tackle it. Uh, we heard it at, what was the last Grand Slam? Wimbledon? We heard yeah. it at Wimbledon. <laughs> Mary Carrillo and uh, Darren Cahill talked about it today on NBC. And I think they did a good professional job. And I, I just don't want to go too far in the praise direction because... Like, we've known about it for so long, and it did take a long time for the major networks to discuss it at all. We, we talked about this previously. I really do think Andy Murray gave folks the permission mm-hmm. to talk about this on air. When he said that the ATP needs to have something on the record to deal with this, and that this is a problem, that was the pivot that they needed to be able to frame the story as not just what would be perceived as an unfounded attack on Zverev, but something that is wrong within the culture of the ATP and the professional setup of the ATP and something that's wanting in professional tennis. Mm. And we can talk till we're blue in the face about how people say, well, we can't take it seriously unless there are criminal charges laid. We know so many reasons why that is misleading. Mm -hmm. It's oversimplifying. That it's in bad faith or complete ignorance. Right. And again, all we have ever said about this is that someone has made credible accusations and has provided evidence. We never said they were 100% definitely true. Mm -hmm. The point is, there has been no investigation. 
there's been no acknowledgement. And if, okay, so let's say you're the labor cup or the ATP, and it's been alleged that abuse happened at your tournament, and it was alleged that an employee was involved. Like, how, <laughs> if it's not true, why haven't you sued? I, uh-huh. I just don't know why you wouldn't want to clear that up. The idea that the ATP or Labor Cup could not or should not have investigated this is wild. Right. And so I think they've been protected because this hasn't got a lot, gotten a lot of traction outside of hardcore tennis fans. But if it starts to damage the reputation of something like Labor Cup, that this something like this could have happened at their event, and an employee or a contractor or whoever it was may have known about it, that's really damaging to your reputation. Mm-hmm. I mean, this story first broke at the back end of last year. We've been through the Australian Open having to navigate around this guy and talking about him. We've had folks bring up the article written by Ben Rothenberg, originally published in Racket Magazine. Like, we see this this one-two step all the time. Something happens with that guy, tennis TV, ATP, some tennis body tweets about him, there's a backlash, they delete something. The story gets shared, rinse, wash, repeat, nothing changes. But now, he's won Olympic gold. Mm -hmm. And this story, I've seen it more in my timeline today than I ever have. And not only has he won Olympic gold, he squashed Novak Djokovic's chances mm-hmm. at a calendar year Golden Slam. It w- it's a big deal. Mary Carrillo also said on air, talking about that guy and the situation, that she's read the story and that it's being published, which is a new development. Mm-hmm. So perhaps on the back of him winning Olympic gold and there seemingly being so much more talk about it now... And this coming out, maybe there will be some action somewhere mm-hmm. by someone. Because it hasn't gone away. Well, it's, no, been, so it's been eight months and it hasn't gone away. It's still there. It's been bubbling and now it's rising to the surface. Yeah, I do sense this building. And I just want to be clear that we will remember the people who were defending and sort of jump ship when it gets too, too uh, bumpy. Because they, this will happen, right? If this becomes a real issue, widely reported, there will be players and people in the tennis world who were previously supportive who will jump to the other side and they'll act like they were always on mm-hmm. the other side. So just remember the names. I got the screenshots, but... Oh, you do. <laughs> <laughs> because, no, I mean, if Maybe you're... Maybe you should share those with me afterwards. Yes. I'm just saying, if you're in the tennis world, it is, it is still possible that you haven't heard, but it's becoming less and less likely. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it is still technically possible that you're not aware. Anyway, I was thinking today, and this is not a fully formed thought, so just try to stay with me for a minute. All right. Uh, like, sports broadcasting and the leagues and agents have done so much to to try to get us to follow athletes because of their personas, right? Because mm-hmm. of their brands, who they are. The clothes they wear, what they do, the jokes they tell, whatever. Like, sports is about personalities. And an individual sport like tennis is definitely like that. NBA is like that. But when we don't like an athlete's personality, 
then it's supposedly us acting in bad faith and and not appreciating the actual play, the actual sport. You've you've asked us to buy the personalities. What if we don't want to buy them? Okay. Then then we're just ignoring you know what we're supposed to be focusing on apparently, which is the tennis. This is in reference to whom? The that guy? That guy anyone. Okay. But yes, what if we don't want what you're selling? Even if that person is a great player. I feel like then this could apply to so many people. Right. Right. So what's the impetus for this spiel? The impetus is like okay, you know, when someone has a great achievement in a sport, like Zverev's gold medal. No! (laughs) No, but really, obviously, the tennis media has to report on it. Mm -hmm. But what if we simply don't care or we don't want to see it? Yes, it's a great achievement, but I don't care. And you don't have to, by default, because it's expected. You think it's expected. It's the thing you should do congratulate him right because there are so many different um tenors tones you can take mm-hmm. you could just simply report the news like, <laughs> right he won the gold medal but i was more concerned with well i have to work lunch today and so i don't want to have to come on and cook because i have to record so i have to make sure to take out the roast overnight and have it thaw out and then make sure i give you the instructions <laughs> to cook it while i'm at work so that mm. we have food cooked that's ready after we finish recording that's more important to me than like taking the time to like a post about that guy or congratulate <laughs> him. You just don't have to do it. Yeah. I, I don't know if I that was a fully formed thought, but it, it'll get there eventually. Uh, okay, you can come back to that <laughs> at another time. The other big piece of news, which we thought would have been the news from this Olympics, is that Novak Djokovic will not be a calendar year golden slammer. And Steffi Graf remains to this date the only player in tennis history who has won all four slams in the same year, as well as the Olympic Games gold medal, mm-hmm. happening in 1988, one of the most dominant years in any sports history. And she did it as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And you you almost wonder, do you have to do it as a young person? Is Probably. there just a level of fear that you don't have? You have a lack of feeling of mortality as mm. an athlete when you're that age. This is the type of thing we talk about all the time on this show, especially with all of the greats that we've been covering since we've been on air with the show getting older. And we've seen them struggle more in their older age to win in situations that would have just, they are just flown through in their youth. Mm-hmm. And some people did say, if Djokovic is vulnerable anywhere, it's going to be here on hard court, best of three. And if the courts are slow hard courts, maybe even a little more vulnerable. I don't know. I I was surprised by the result, but not like bowled over, mm-hmm. not stunned. What I was surprised about was his bugaboo, Pablo Carreño Busta, did it again to him in the bronze medal match. Well, he did it in a completed match. <laughs> yes. This time. Djokovic is still on track to secure the calendar year Grand Slam and break the all-time record for most slams won by a man in tennis. That yeah. can still happen at the U.S. Open next next month, right? Yeah, we are it starts at the end of we this month. We are now in August. Yeah, uh, New York is going to be a really difficult ask. He leaves Japan. He said he was carrying multiple injuries. He was taking painkillers to get through these matches. 
pulled out of mixed doubles with a shoulder injury. I know people are throwing shade on the withdrawal. I don't personally, I don't have an opinion on athlete withdrawals. Like, I'm, not, I'm not invested. I really in that. don't care. I feel for his partner, Stojanovic. Mm. She did not have the chance to then secure her bag and her bronze. But it is what it is. Like when a player withdraws, I I tend to take them at their word. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he played several matches in the heat and he was most likely exhausted. Yeah, I would be. And he said his shoulder was hurt. So like, I believe it. I mean, you lose three matches within 24 hours. That's a lot of losing in those conditions. Right. <laughs> right. That's that's a harsh way to put it, but it is a lot of heartbreak mm-hmm. and a lot of effort spent, you know, and nothing came yeah. of it. So there's two things here. Novak will still move on to New York as the favorite, as the player who is still able to achieve this monumental feat. Fine. There'll be more to come on that on our US Open preview yeah. episodes. But then there's also the way his appearance in Tokyo was framed by so many to us in an alarming way in that he was being brave. I can't fathom how many times I saw the word brave being attached to his performance. Not even his performance, but just his appearance. <laughs> his attempt to do this. Yeah, it was weird. Um, oh, we, we just talked about this is a big ask to come to Tokyo. Yes, it's it's a lot on the body, on the mind for all players. But like the bravery angle was very strange. Because clearly he's chasing a historical achievement. This is for him. If and he... I say that with full knowledge that that's fine. Yeah, He is an athlete yeah. chasing history. But it, it's for his records, his name. Why to, would he not go? To be clear, it's more craven than brave. <laughs> craven in the Jamaican sense? Oh, Because it means different than... Is like, there another sense? Yes. Craven means like cowardly. Oh, that's not what we... The way you use it, it means like gluttonous. Yes. <laughs> I mean, he showed up in, in Tokyo fine, win that gold. But then he has to enter doubles, he has to enter mixed, he has to make, enter all of them. <laughs> like, that is that is gluttony. It was gluttony to me. And I'm sure, like, it was fun. He wanted to win medals, um, but, like, it it just didn't work. And so I, I just wonder, like, <laughs> some journalists have this impulse to sort of mythologize it once he's lost. Like the story is is not that he lost, but that, wow, what, how brave of him to even try. It's just, it's weird. Like <laughs> it was the epitome of doing too much. Right, just tell the story. Then the other thing, the last thing with Mr. Djokovic before we move on to other stuff is just how embarrassing frankly his on-court behavior was in that bronze medal match like it was yeah it was deplorable frankly (laughs) careful now that word got donald trump elected (laughs) um the i mean the racket smash it's a racket smash right but you can't really do it into the net they usually frown upon that well that was the Uh, follow-up that was part two of the one two step the that's, first step. That's the one that's been circulating more. Yeah. The really alarming thing is whipping your racket into the stands. This kind of <laughs> balletic. Is that the word? Bal- balletic? I don't balletic? know how it's pronounced. Yeah. That that graceful motion of letting fly his racket into the stands 
And I suppose because there were no fans there, it was fine? Uh, <laughs> I mean... This on the back in of... In normal circumstances, that would be a default. If This on the back of the US Open last year? This is... I mean, I know... I say this all the time on the show, but this is just wild to me. It's mind <laughs> blasting that he, this would happen. And then a couple of days, couple of games later to then try and maul the net. Yeah, uh, it was a lot. I mean, he did say after the US Open, he didn't say that he was going to stop doing no, stuff He did like not, that. no. So he's not a liar. No. Um, the, the racket in the stands thing is crazy because, I mean, you do that knowing that there are no fans there. Because if there had been fans there and you hit somebody, that would be the end of the match. Mm-hmm. I mean, his mind, his mind. The quickness. The power. The quickness with which he's able to <laughs> to make these split-second decisions. Anyway, lest you think we're ragging on him too much at a time at a low period, it was really embarrassing. No, I want to I want to harp on this because I do think that the stalwarts, the stars, the legends of this game should be held to a higher standard than other players, lower ranked, lesser profiled. Mm. They get the privileges. They get the best breaks when they're wildfires in Australia. They get to be housed separately. Craig Talley tells us as much. Well, you know, like, (laughs) they're the stars, right? They're all these unseen and will-never-be-known ways that these players, though they may have earned it, get special treatment... They get the benefit of all of y'all's doubts in so many situations. They get a leg up on the have-nots of the tennis world. And with that comes a responsibility, I think, to present themselves and represent their sport. And in this case, their country, because every last one of them will tell you that the reason that they're there is for the, the glory of representing their country on this global sporting stage. With all of that, this was an abomination. From the world number one, an abomination. from the 20-time slam winner, it just was not on. I mean, honestly, like, it doesn't really affect my life. It's, I know you don't care. It's just embarrassing. I know you don't it's care. It's embarrassing for him on a world stage like this. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It doesn't mean that he's a bad person. I want to state that it means that it was embarrassing and it's something that he should be ashamed of. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, that's a, like. <laughs> Look, y'all I can feel co- like you should y- be banging on the lectern right now. Y'all can that's come like for me. Fire and brimstone. Sure, y'all can um, come for me. Like I just, I just don't have the bandwidth for this Olympic shit, this Olympic tournament that is extraneous and hindering to the the natural tennis professional calendar. Like it's the same shit with with the other sports like golf. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, why are you, why are you in the Olympics? Olympics? is so dumb. I'm so sorry. Like The final one was pretty exciting right. last night. Okay, though. like, they may create drama in exciting mm-hmm. matches, but, like, professional sports in the Olympics, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. You get what you want from it and out of it. You get your gold medal. It's cute. You can then attach it to your calendar, your Grand Slam, and it becomes something bigger. Fine. But for us, for our personal viewing interests, tennis at the Olympics is not what we're here for. Right. Mm. I wanted to talk a little about, like, what is what does the Olympics mean for tennis? How prestigious is the event? How does it compare to the other events in tennis? And I we've I'm sure we talked about it a lot at the 2016 event as well. 
I think for me, the prestige of the Olympics in tennis waxes and wanes, depending on where it is. Like there are so many um, variables regarding the surface, the conditions, the time it happens in the calendar, who's decided to play, like the weight that is invested in it based on what has happened already that year. There are so many things that affect basically how important we view Olympic tennis. It, that's just my Whether it's my happening view. in the middle of a pandemic. Right, like 2012 in London had this extra cachet, this weight, because it was happening at the All England Club. Also because Andy Murray won it and Serena Williams won it and their deep runs. Right, it, because it felt like... I mean, Serena had like a historically dom- dominant run and it felt like the best players won. Olympic tennis doesn't always feel that way. Sometimes we have shocking medalists. You know, the majority of the time it doesn't. Mm-hmm. If you look back at the the folks who have won medals at this, this event, and kudos to them, they get to have it. Steve Johnson gets to show us his bronze medal whenever he wants. Right? I mean, Nicholas Massou has two medals. Like, that was a very surprising game mm-hmm. in 2004. It's I memories. I feel like the Olympics is memories more than anything for these athletes, which I would probably want them to if I were a professional athlete. Right. And a big part of what makes a tennis event important is the the importance that the players invest in it. And you know that a lot of the players are taken very seriously. They really care. But the players really care about Labor Cup too. And that doesn't make Labor Cup uh, like the fifth slam. Do you know what I mean? Like, Oh, they're they're going there. They're going there. (laughs) It, It doesn't... I mean... It's fine. Right, but, the, but part of the devaluing of this, of the Olympic Games that's kind of continued, unaided by the pandemic, is a lack of ranking points on offer. This is a second sla- the second Olympic cycle, I believe, where there were no points awarded to the winners or the medalists at this event. Mm-hmm. So, like, folks will naturally, depending on the situations in their career, go chase points elsewhere as well. Right. And this time around... Uh, COVID-19 had a huge part to play in it, mm. a lot of top players just decided to sit out. And that's mm. obviously going to affect the kind of cachet that an event has. Mm. Not to say that this wasn't an important event. I just It's interesting to me, more than any other tennis event, I think, the prestige really ebbs and flows with the Olympics. Okay. Uh, let me just say something really quick. Mm-hmm. One thing I do really like about Olympic tennis is that more than one player gets to leave with a prize. Because all, all yes. tennis tournaments, mm-hmm. yeah. there are many, many losers and only one winner. And you could have an amazing tournament and still walk away a loser. So I, I actually do like that you can get a silver and a bronze recognizing your achievement. And quite often, the bronze medal match is more enthralling than the gold medal match. Yeah. We saw that in 2016 with Nadal losing the bronze medal match to K. Right? Yeah, yeah. We saw that this year with Karenia Busta saying it was the achievement of his life, yep. beating Djokovic for that medal. Krejcikova, Siniakova win women's doubles, denying Bencic the, the double in singles and doubles. Mm-hmm. Her partner, Golubic, again, uh, pff, another achievement in an amazing year for her. Her partner being Bencic's partner. Yes, yeah. Pavlyuchenko Rublev surprisingly won mixed doubles over the favored Vesnina and Karatsev. 
and Mektic Pavic win men's doubles. We've talked very previously about just how much winning they've done in 2021, and they continue to rack up the wins and the duelers. Naomi kicked off the Olympics by lighting the cauldron, and she was able to field questions about what her last couple months have been after the French Open, after she withdrew from the French Open, after she didn't play Wimbledon. So there was a a rehashing, a refreshing of the memories of what she told us she had been going through as a professional athlete. And then we got a similar story emerging from these Olympics with Simone Biles. Right. Well, we thought it was a similar story. And although the reasons were different, it brings up a lot of similar issues and questions. Mm. Simone Biles has been by far the best gymnast in the world for years now. She has been by far the best athlete in the world po- po- for years Possibly now? the most dominant athlete in any sport for in a long history? time. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but she's really at her best so far ahead of all of her competitors in her sport. And she pulled out of the team event in gymnastics after it had already started. Uh, She performed on vault. She didn't complete her expected rotation leading into the dismount. Yeah. So it was a shocking performance for her on vault. And then she just withdrew herself from the competition and continued cheering for her teammates on the side. But nobody really knew what was going on. And People assumed it was a physical injury. Right. So... First, they said, no, it's not an injury. And then everyone's like, oh, it must be mental health related. And then, well, sort of. But Simone went further to explain, after a lot of uh, gymnastics writers and former gymnasts explained what the twisties are mm-hmm. in gymnastics. And you know, I had never heard of this. This is not a sport that I'm super knowledgeable about. But essentially, it's when the mind and body connection in gymnastics is severed. When you could be flying through the air and sort of lose track of where you are in the air. Mm -hmm. Gymnastics at this level and where women's and men's gymnastics has come is a very dangerous sport. Mm -hmm. If you don't land correctly, you can literally paralyze yourself. We see all the time clips being shared on social media of Simone Biles and the stuff that she does, especially in the floor routine. And it's always in complete awe that a human being can physically do this. There was one just shortly before her withdrawal from the team event where it it's it's difficult to comprehend that a human body can do that stuff. Right. And that's the nature of Simone Biles' athletic career. It defies logic, what she's able to do. And so when she has the twisties, now this emerges as a problem for her People don't know what to make of it. Folks are trying to make comparisons to golf when you have the yips. When your ball toss in tennis just all of a sudden is completely inconsistent. Out of nowhere, you're just unable to physically do it. That disconnect between mind and body, right? But it's not the same thing. Right. The stakes are completely different. Because in golf or tennis, if you have the yips, you're just bad. Mm. (laughs) Right. The worst thing that happens is that you play poorly. In gymnastics, on the hard surfaces that are used in competition, what happens if you land on your back? What happens if you land on your head? It's uh, it's the reason why I was never able to complete a somersault, because I was convinced I would break my neck. Even a somersault? Couldn't do it. 
It's like, I just can't complete the rotation oh. because I will break my neck. You don't even leave the ground for that one. There will, there will be no rotating of my body. <laughs> anyway. No 360 action over here. Now, Simone did not have to give us all that context, but she shared an Insta story with some uh, documentary evidence of her failing to complete rotations in practice. And she said it was a problem that popped up in Tokyo. She wasn't having the problem leading up to the event. So for several reasons, to preserve her team's chances to get a medal and also to protect herself, she pulled out of, mm-hmm. of all the competitions. And of course, this set off a, a conversation, uh, an uproar that was very similar to the one that happened when Naomi Osaka first said she wasn't going to do press and then pulled out of Roland Garros. They're very different things, but they're very similar in the reaction they cause. Mm-hmm. The through line in the reaction is the expectation that these athletes, and they often tend to be black women, must, to great detriment to their physical and mental health, perform for us and our entertainment at all costs, whatever may come their way. Right. And they're not tough enough. They're giving up. It's like, well, what do they owe you? What do they owe me? Nothing. And so I think this is the danger of seeing a dominant athlete like this as a, a goat, a queen, a hero, a legend. All these words that sort of elevate them beyond human being status into a symbol. You forget that that actually is just just a person like you mm. and me, a very talented person, but just a, a human being trying to do things that are amazing. When they have videos of themselves shared by people marveling at what they can do, like what happened with Simone and what has happened with her throughout her career, all these videos of her performing superhuman routines and people being like, wow, goat shit. Like, right. that is and we've amazing. Done it. I've done it. Yeah. It's so easy to see people like her as beyond the realm of human achievement into Mm. like something extraterrestrial you you know and their achievements at certain points have been that but they did it while also being people right exactly and i mean gymnastics especially we know what she's been through first of all uh in usa gymnastics she's a survivor of sexual assault uh which was all basically propped up and silenced by her own federation Uh, But gymnastics, without all that shit, is an incredibly punishing sport. Mm -hmm. These athletes are constantly in pain. The things that they're pushed to do is crazy. I do think for the first time, we are seeing a shift in the discourse surrounding these athletes. I think there has been a real breakthrough to folks finally understanding this aspect of it. This aspect of the relationship between superhuman athletes and fan Mm -hmm. that we are not owed anything from them that it is something that we get to enjoy but first and foremost their well-being despite the talent that they've been gifted is the most important right because in professional sport in the olympics we have been trained to value self-sacrifice that that's the greatest achievement in olympic sports right we saw Uh, Folks, thankfully, debunking what happened to Carrie Strug mm-hmm. in 1996. Because my, I was 12 years old. The, I, I will never forget how that was portrayed in the media. 
she sacrificed her career and probably a lot of pain in her adult life for that one quote-unquote heroic moment. Right. And I mean, growing up in the U.S., that was heroism. That's mm. how we saw it. And so now we're looking back at these and, and reevaluating these events with perspective. And Naomi and Simone are obviously not uh, the first people to bring this up. But because of their stature, I think they do represent a real shift in how culturally we're talking about athletes. And mm-hmm. it's, it's relatively new. Like this, yeah. you know, this has been happening over the past few months. This is not to discredit the athletes who have been talking about mental health for years and decades. Mm-hmm. Marty but, Fish is getting a Netflix right? special. Congrats mm-hmm. to him. But these two women, their stature and what they... I think they've come to represent a generation that some you know, some people think is too sensitive or too... Soft. I, I hate to use the soft. word. Soft. That's what or, they try to say. Right. And they try to use the word woke in a derogatory way. But... These two women represent something that's shifting in mm-hmm. the way that we talk about sports. And when they're labeled as soft, that is a direct attack at the strength and fortitude it takes to talk about mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Because that is one of the stro- the strongest things, the greatest demonstrations of strength that someone can display. Right. So now you're exposing yourself as A, somebody who can't do those athletic feats that they do, mm-hmm. and B, somebody who isn't strong enough to talk about the mental aspect either. Mm-hmm. It's, it is a sign of the times that we live in. And while if you want to, if you have the bandwidth for engaging with these conversations, if you read an article on Simone Biles and this Olympics and you read the comments and you see... You see the responses. If you have any ability to to get through that, you'll at least see that more of this narrative is seeping through. Mm -hmm. So much more on this at a later date, I'm sure. This is going to be a through line in sports coverage for a while, I think. Why don't we get back to what's been happening in tennis after Wimbledon and during the Olympics? Mm Mm-hmm. So just kind of quickly recapping who's been playing well. There have been a lot of tournaments over the past three weeks. Pablo Carreño Busta is coming off the title at Munich and then won the bronze medal. He's had an incredible year and a half, despite the shade thrown by both Ben Rothenberg and Nick Kyrgios. <laughs> <laughs> For his run at the U.S. Open last year. Uh, semifinals at the U.S. Open, quarters of For Roland the Garros, second time. Right. The titles in Hamburg and Marbella, it's, I mean, this is like a career run for him. It's been a great 12 months for PCB. Who's also had a great 12 months is Barbora Krejcikova. Yeah, and a great few weeks, honestly. (laughs) The hits keep on coming. Right. The gold in doubles, but she also won the title in Prague, sandwiched in between Wimbledon and the Olympics. Kevin Anderson back in the winner's circle. He's been struggling to return from injury at his big age, which is close to our big ages. That's why we say the big age. <laughs> it's difficult to come back from injury when you're a dude of that size. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so he won the Newport title on grass, where the Hall of Fame ceremony happened that week as well, where Conchita Martinez, the original nine, and Goran Ivanisevic were all inducted. Kasper Rud. Kasper Rud. <laughs> <laughs> I okay we we can be honest about what's happening here Casper 
has had an incredible run of three titles in a row, and he's also done so at a very advantageous time in the calendar. Right? We, we're Listen, allowed to be yeah, truthful about that. But why do we need that caveat at this point? I'm just Listen, saying. titles are hard to win. True. Like 19 number ones on the Billboard Hot 100, not everybody has them. Yeah, but she did them against Titans, you know? Yeah, she did do it against <laughs> Janet and Madonna, and Madonna Celine, and Whitney, Whitney, Boys to Men. Celine. You said Celine? Yeah. yeah anyway, the, I'm just saying, big fans of Casper Rude. This is not meant to disparage him at all, but he picked a great time to play well. Okay. Right? He has been playing well on clay yes. for a long time. He won Bastad, Gustad, and Kitzbühel. Come on! I just shocked you. I, I yes. scared you. I pulled away. Like, I have headphones on, so there was no getting away from it. But I instinctively did pull and, away. Y'all know what this is about. This is about Miss Danielle Collins winning her first WTA title in Palermo. Listen, she looked at the schedule and she's like, I, I want to go to Sicily. I've never been to Sicily. She did. It looks amazing. <laughs> I'm going to go. I want to try the food. I want to... I want to sightsee. This is part vacation, part work. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a very Venus decision. And it was a very successful trip for Ms. Collins. She beat the Italian Ruse, who had actually just won the title in Hamburg. Congrats to her. Brandon Nakashima, an American who has just entered the top 100, reached the finals in Los Cabos. There he beat Isner, Thompson, and Query. He also beat Thompson in Atlanta. So he beat Isner, you're saying, in Los Cabos. And now he's playing him currently as we record in the final in Atlanta. Yes, like it actually could be the final game. Isner yeah. is up 7-6-6-5, so we'll see. Nakashima just had an add point to send it to a tiebreak, and now it's deuce. So it could be two points away from losing and that other guy winning another title. Mm. Carlos Alcaraz won his first title in Umag. And let's hear it for... First of all, for the WTA tournament in Gdynia, Poland, did you see the stands and how full they were? Like, we knew that WTA Poland went off. But to see it, like, at an actual event and how enthusiastic and how packed the place was, it's like, oh, that's why Aga always won fan favorite. That's why Iga Świątek is such a huge star. But also... Poland but also, stands for WTA. But also Pandemic. When you said, right. I was like, where is he going with this? This is this sounds harrowing, first of all. <laughs> I know, I was painting it as celebratory. And in any other context, it would be. But, you know, just be careful, everyone. Um, Zanevska, who is a Belgian player, ranked, she was at the time ranked 165, won her first title at Gdynia. Okay, I think that... And that's, that's most of what happened. That I just probably about missed covers... A few. All of the the events that have been happening. During our time away, we also had a couple of high-profile retirements from the sport on the WTA. Kiki Bertens had told us that this was going to be her last year on tour. And then she told us once she got to the Olympics that this was going to be her last event. Yeah, so it's just kind of a lonely exit from the sport. There were no fans. There was no ovation to see her off the court. So it was a little bit sad. Uh Kiki has had an outstanding career. She was a long-time resident of the top 10, reached as high as number four in singles, 
She's got 10 singles titles, 10 doubles titles. She's still only 29 years old. One of the best things about Kiki Pertens for me is that she's one of the nicest people, the most, one of the nicest presenting people you will meet in press, in English press. But she is known, and I've been told from folks who can translate and who speak Dutch, that she will cuss a <laughs> blue light yes. in Dutch during like her Dutch press conferences. she is the most profane athlete yes. in her native language. Like what you think of her in English <laughs> press conferences is not who she is in her native tongue. And I just always get such a kick out of that. We saw her uh, win the Cincinnati mm-hmm. title a few years ago, yeah. beating Simona Halep. I, we, I enjoyed watching her we've play. We've covered that tournament together maybe four or five times, and we've seen Garbinia win. We've, we've seen Bertens win. I think that was 2018. Yeah. She won that. And then Venus did beat Bertens at Cincinnati mm-hmm. one year, right? Yeah. Um, when Bertens was, like, top 10. I think that was 2019. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've seen Novak win, Dimitrov, Medvedev. I think we've seen Chilich win as well in 2016. Oh, weird. Mm-hmm. The year he beat Murray in the final. Oh, yeah. Year. yeah Murray yeah. was coming off of Olympic gold. And he that's the year that he wrecked himself. Yes. Anyway, that's kind of off topic. Yes. But, uh, Tamea Baczynski has also retired from tennis. She's been away for a while, so this one was less surprising. Again, a top 10 player, career high number of nine, four singles titles, but I think she will really be remembered for those two semifinals at Roland Garros. And, and also, the, the people she beat. Also, for beating Venus Williams, I think in what? At least two, maybe three straight round of 16s at the French Open. It <laughs> yes. was... Yeah. It's a testament to her that I was never truly disgusted by her mm-hmm. going through those moments as a diehard Venus fan. <laughs> you know, that I'm able to still stand... Angelique Kerber and Tamea Baczynski says a lot about them and me, frankly. Yes. Uh, Tamea put up a pretty excellent fight against Serena Williams during that uh, 2015 French Open run. Weddings. Multiple? No, just one. Gems Life. Uh-huh. I mean, they have broken up, gotten back together within the year, engaged, and now they are wed. Yes. You'd think that the wedding took place at the All England Club. Because of the lavender trim on Elena's dress. And also the fact that Gail was literally dressed like Wimbledon. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... If you had told us that that is the Usher uniform for Wimbledon employees, I would have believed it. (laughs) (laughs) He looked... I mean, he looks great in anything. I I didn't love the color of the tie because it made it look very much like Jack Nicholson Joker. Mm. But... I mean, you also are not very adventurous when it comes that, to your That fashions. is true. Uh, Elena looked absolutely stunning. I thought and it I'm was really, great. Like, I'm not a, a wedding connoisseur no. at all, but she gave us a pantsuit. She gave us a dress. She looked. They both looked happy, gorgeous. The only it. thing is that it was designed by Virgil Abloh. Oh, God. And you, that... You had to tell me that? Uh, you knew that. I did not. You did not know that. Did it say, quote, wedding dress? Unquote? No, seriously, <laughs> seriously. Wait, did this happen while we were apart? Is that why we never talked about it? Maybe. Yeah, I think so. We were not, like, apart. We were just in different countries. Right. You were having lots of fun. <laughs> we didn't break up like like Gem's life. <laughs> we didn't consciously uncouple. No, so the dress, it had on... I'm, I'm showing you where it was here. It was, like, yeah. on the sternum. Is that what this is? 
Yeah, like right at you're talking like clavicle? right at the clavicle. Yeah. yeah. It said off right there. And there was this big debate no. on Twitter. Why? <laughs> Why? Well, I interpreted it to mean and I think I'm right that the the color was an off white. Hmm. How infuriating mm-hmm. is that? Mm-hmm. That's a rhetorical Did question. Did it have the return address to the factory? Like it what? was it's mind blasting. It's so enraging what he does. <laughs> Abla. Like No, but it's like it's, everything about the, it's the dress not that he does it. It it's that like the art and fashion world have bought it. Hook, oh line, and God, sinker. It's... Anyway. Love Gem's life. Happy for that. I really liked the outfit outside of that. Mm-hmm. Elena was identified on some of the tennis scoring apps as Elena Monfils. And she was asked about it. And she said, now, wait well, a minute. Well, the, the reason why that happened was because she changed her social media to Elena mm-hmm. Monfils. Yeah, yeah. But she said, wait a minute. As a professional, I'm still going mm-hmm. by Svitolina. Yeah. And my dad would be upset. Right. If- <laughs> you don't go and do that without getting confirmation from her. Right. People change their name on their social media to all manner of things. Like Serena Williams bun. Like I could be... <laughs> Like, are you going to change it to business bun? Exactly. I could go now and change my... It would still be at tennis underscore John, but I could change my name to Embarrassed for Djokovic. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's not an official name change. I, at one time, I changed my name to James Wilfried Songa. Does that mean that I married him? Unfortunate, in your dreams. Unfortunately, no. You may have in your dreams. And also, congrats, we didn't mention it, but congrats to Elena Svitolina. For winning bronze at the Olympic yes. Games. The first Ukrainian to win a medal in tennis at the Olympics. So we got two more things to talk about before the episode is over. The first being the Osaka Netflix documentary. The documentary. <laughs> if you're from where I'm from. And then the track and field event that's currently ongoing at the Olympic Games. This is where this is my moment mm-hmm. to shine this is this is where i get my life at the olympics and i've already gotten it and hope to get some more <laughs> okay so naomi osaka's netflix documentary uh it came at a either a really bad time or a really good time after her withdrawals from big tournaments the mental health thing it came out right before the olympics she had just lit the torch and uh, an Olympic gold medal would have really f- completed the story. Mm-hmm. But we know that real life doesn't always happen that Do way. Do you remember on the last episode we had said that the timing of a lot of these things was probably unfortunate for her, but out of her control because they were planned so long ago? Yeah. And then there were more things. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. So it became clear watching the documentary or the, the series or whatever that the filmmakers probably had something in mind. And then it became something totally different because mm-hmm. we've seen this in a lot of reality TV or docu-series recently that they're filming and then COVID-19 happens. So you see like news footage of the pandemic and the uh, the subject of the series changed a lot because Naomi changed a lot over that period and probably made it a lot richer. She became really engaged with Black Lives Matter, with the protests that were happening in Minneapolis, so much so that she actually went there. Mm-hmm. I, I found it to be a, li- 
a little bit too polished for my liking. I thought it felt scripted in parts, especially the the break between the end of episode two and the start of episode three. Like that was a lot of creative direction yeah. there. Yes. And I think where this project would have benefited from was a feel of a lot more authenticity in the progression of the story. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I Because the moments where Naomi comes off as being unfiltered and we're getting direct access to her without like producers getting at it and mm. placing it at this part. Because it's clear. I mean, this is not happening in a linear way. Right, right. Right. This is chopped and edited and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But the when we get those earnest, quiet moments with Naomi, when we get her at the dinner table with her parents celebrating her birthday, and she asks her mom if she's essentially achieving enough, if she's on time with what she should have achieved by now, it's such a... Mm outrageous question to think that she would ask of her mother. Right. You know, like, girl, you are a four-time slam champion. You are... Well, at the time, she was only a two-time. That's true. But you have have caused all this conversation. You are... You are a really big deal. (laughs) Right. You know, but this is the mind of a champion, Did I achieve enough at my big age? At the time, was probably 21. (laughs) This is the mind of a precocious, super talented, introspective introvert right who has mm. had celebrity thrust upon her when she wasn't necessarily ready for it and still being so concerned with making her parents proud you know yeah so actually that dinner on a reality show could have been like the most scripted and produced set piece mm-hmm. there is but i actually felt authenticity coming from that setting um but i, I agree i felt the whole thing to me felt a little bit slight. Like, I, I thought there was going to be more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't necessarily looking for a narrative from start to finish. But if you were not a follower of Naomi and didn't get tennis, I wished there was more for those people watching. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the bits where you got to see what her day-to-day life is like. When you got to see her training. When you got mm-hmm. to see her partnering up with Vincette for the first time. Yep. And, you know, the kind of sponsor and press obligations that she has that's interesting to see an athlete go through because it's you know it's a lot of training but it's also a lot of that stuff people playing with your hair and putting on your makeup and (laughs) i wonder what the the docuseries was intended to capture there's only so much that you can predict when you sign on for this type of project right a lot of it is dictated by what naomi actually achieves in her life and on the tennis court to see what the final product will be and of course the pandemic threw a big wrench in all of this. And Black Lives Matter became a story that she w- became a part of. Right. right. So I imagine a lot of what the final product was looked completely different from what whoever had designs on this project imagined it to be. Right. And it was produced by LeBron James Production Company. You know, they're both Nike athletes. The sponsors obviously have an interest in how their athlete is presented. So had that stuff not happened, we could have gotten a a much less interesting final product, I think. Or if she had if she were now a six time slam champion, like what would that yeah, look like? Right. There's right. so many different ways this could have gone based on what happened in life and her life. Mm-hmm. You know? 
I so think it, it feels kind of disingenuous to sit here and say you feel disappointed one way or the other because this is her life and how it played out in these extraordinary times, you know? Yeah. I mean, but these are the parts that they've chosen to show us. Yes. Like, I felt like this is now a major international athlete who is presenting herself in the way that she and the people around her want her to be presented. And I don't say that to be cynical, but like we have to be realistic here, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The the moments that felt real are kind of what stick with me. So when she said, you know, she described herself as an introvert and somebody who never really felt like she had a voice or she didn't have anything to say. And then last year when George Floyd was killed and Black Lives Matter kind of reignited and took over the culture, I really believe like she found something that she could use her voice for. Like it ignited something in her. And she did talk about that. And because of what she did last year, like she has become something of a symbol of people her age. She was already a symbol of this sort of multiracial utopia that we hope can be achieved someday. But now people see her as someone who speaks for something larger than herself. As in, like, her woke generation, right? Quote, unquote. Right. Woke generation. And I don't use that as a pejorative, no, like a lot of people never, do. never, never. I mean, we try not to use that word. Period. At yes, this point. Yes, but I use it with full knowledge of where it came from and why it's politically uh-huh. useful. Or was. Yeah. So if you haven't watched it, it's still a recommend from us. I don't think it lived up quite to my ex- hopes. I didn't really have expectations. Maybe hopes. Mm-hmm. Um, the first two episodes are a little over 40 minutes, and then the third one is a little over 30. So it's a fairly easy watch. Slow-paced. You know, carve out some time, pour a glass of wine, or just put the bottle on the on the side stand. <laughs> and have at it. Olympic track and field, we have been waiting the whole mm-hmm. week for it. We The last few months. But- <laughs> because Miss Shakira Richardson created all this stir about the women's 100 in Tokyo. And then as it turned out, she wasn't in the talk. Right. She tried to continue to insert herself into the talk from a distance, but by that time she wasn't part of the games. Now, this isn't really about her. No, but there is certainly a level of pettiness that's going to come from a Jamaican. I know. For somebody, an American track athlete, who's trying to, (laughs) whether intentionally or not, throw shots or degrade denigrate Jamaican athletes. Now, I'm mostly going to let you take this segment, Mm -hmm. obviously, because this is your specialty. But Mm -hmm. I will say that Jamaican athletes have suffered a lot to American sprinters in the past, you know, during your upbringing. Not so much in the last 13 years. But but coming into this race, we had Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, who ran a personal best this year of Mm 10.63, the second best time ever recorded at that time, she won the gold medal in 100 meter in 08 and 12. Yes, correct. Her countrywoman, Elaine Thompson, wins the gold medal in 2016. Shelly had a busted toe at that time. Shelly still won the bronze. Mm-hmm. Shelly has won four world championship golds in the 100 meter during mm-hmm. that period. That's correct. Like, this field is insane. Talu blazed through the heats. Mm-hmm. An incredible time. Yes. Uh, I did I did caution you that that may not have been the best thing for her. 
Right. And as it turned out, blessing. She also blazed through the heats and then unfortunately tested positive for HGH and uh-huh. got thrown out of the games. Yeah. So what was the purpose of your preference? I was just, you know, setting the scene how Shelly Ann and Elaine have been the best sprinters in the world over the past decade. Okay. And by a far. So first, I will continue to say this. One of my very favorite things about you is the lengths to which you go to stan Shelly and Fraser Price <laughs> at every opportunity on every platform. Somebody mm. could be saying, this person is such a good da 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 and you'll be quote tweeting like, um, Shelly and Fraser Price. <laughs> Bottom line. But she makes it so easy. <laughs> I was riled, quite frankly, by Miss Richardson. I know you don't yes, want me talking. You, you know I you mean, don't want me talking about this. Jamaican track fans like do not, do not try them. Just don't. You just don't. And um, so yeah, she had quite a few, and by quite a few, like maybe a handful of cute results, electric results. She's twenty-one years old. She hasn't been doing this very long. She hasn't competed at a major international event. Correct. But we've seen the emergence of a young prodigy a young talent before in american track and field in marion jones in 1997 she took the world stage by storm won everything won the world championships and then did what she did in 2000 right like so that Mm -hmm. that's before she was kicked out of the games essentially for testing positive for marijuana You can have all those discussions about whether that's right or wrong. I'm not having that here. Just taking that as a fact. Before that happened, I was concerned. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I was concerned because I've lived through this before. (laughs) There's always, every Olympic cycle, there's somebody who who has been birthed onto the track scene that you may or may not have seen coming. And she fits the bill. Right. There's no use minimizing her talent. No, none whatsoever. I recognize her talent. Like, those times are no joke. But where it became farcical for me is when she was presenting herself as the one to beat. Or the presumed favorite. Medalist. Yeah. Which, for her, talk your shit. You know, like, there's, there's sure. no shame in that. There's no... There's nothing wrong in that to be bigging up yourself and touting yourself. You know, like self-belief, whatever, right? Like, that's a good thing. Then it becomes just, the discourse just flies away. The Shakira Richardson discourse just takes off. You have this electric runner, young, black, colorful in the way she presents herself aesthetically, right? With her hair, her nails, her personality, her off-court interviews, and black twitter like they do with tennis and the williams sisters and what have you take things in a in a direction it doesn't need to go because anybody who follows track and field they know about the two-time olympic champion shelly and fraser price they know about the defending champion in the 100 and 200 elaine thompson hero they know that shelly and fraser price has run the second fastest time in history leading into the games at 1063 and so it's not just about Shakira Richardson, and it's not just about Shelly and Elaine. It's about Sharika Jackson, who has dropped down from the 400 to focus on the 100 and the 200, and is one of the most versatile track athletes since 
Alison Felix. It's about Talu. It's about Blessing. It's about... Dean Asher Smith, who didn't make well, the final, but... I maintain it's not about Dean Asher Smith. <laughs> I, I told you that from the jump. Yes. I told you that she locked into some medals at the 2019 World Championships because of other people not being there in slower mm. times. Like, her personal bests are just not where it's well, at. Her, her being British probably did keep her in the conversation it did. more. Like, when Blessing got disqualified, when she got kicked out of the games, one of the British headlines was, Dina Asher Smith's rival right. gets kicked out of the games. Like, um, But not, not a rival for the best. It's for, like, the next tier down. That's you being shady here, no, not but me. We're, 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 I'm looking at personal best times, and they're... Okay, I'm just saying it was crazy. I didn't see Dina as one of the real favorites for this event. Anyway, bottom line, you're running away, carrying on, having all these conversations about Shakira Richardson in the United States of Twitter. Meanwhile, we have colorful athletes in Jamaica, like Shellyanne and Elaine will give you a different color for every race. Like, <laughs> Shelly showed up with her black hair for the heats, but the, and we were a little nervous. The bright yellow was there for the final, as was Elaine's. You know, like, mm. Shakira is not the original that she was presented to be. And that's not a knock on her. That's a knock on the myopic view that Americans have for the rest of the world. Yeah, frankly. that was a lot of American exceptionalism. Because, like, Google is right there. It's right there. And, like, you're talking about, oh, she's the fastest, this is the fastest, that. That is factually incorrect. So, in your effort to big up Shakari and situate her within this greater narrative of uh, Black oppression in America, you're doing her a disservice by not correctly situating her within the actual track landscape. There, There's so much muddying going on with the way that she was talked about and also the way she presented herself, frankly. Like, after the heats, where they <laughs> those women ran the fastest heats in history, she's talking about on Twitter, y'all miss me yet? Well, no. No, we actually don't, because we're watching greatness here, sweetie. And then we just saw the fastest 100-meter final ever. We saw like, a record that no. many people didn't think would ever be broken. Both of Flojo's records in the 100 were thought to be unbreakable. The Olympic one, maybe somebody could get to it. And Elaine did it. She ran 10.61 to break a 33-year-old Olympic record in track. Shellyanne ran a terrible race and still ran 10.74. <laughs> like a right? horrible race. Like stumbled at some point and still has one of the fastest times ever. If Sharika Jackson ever figures out her start... And if they ever extend the race to 120 meters, watch out. <laughs> because she would be unbeatable. She was so far back and two meters more and Shelly would have gotten the bronze. <laughs> and for the record, let's, let's not think of this as anything other than complete and utter dominance by Jamaican women over the last 13 years. They did very well even before then. But it's mm -hmm. been a complete domination of the women's 100 and they they've still got people coming up through juniors yeah bianca williams who is a junior world record holder has broken 11 seconds she will be in that relay she'll be one of those four women 10 of the last 12 olympic medals awarded in the women's 100 have been won by jamaicans 
swept in 2008. Shelley and Fraser Price, Karen Stewart, and I believe... Sharon Simpson. Yes, thank you. (laughs) I almost said Simone Facey. And then in 12 and 16, they got, I believe, gold and bronze. And then they've swept again. Get with the program here. (laughs) Just get with it. (laughs) And we have an even more competitive event coming up in the Women's 200. Mm -hmm. Where, yes, at this point, there are two favorites. There's Elaine and then there's the woman who won the U.S. Trials, who I still haven't learned her name yet. <laughs> oh, good job. You're supposed to be the <laughs> But there's a whole host of other women who could win that event, including a couple others who are dropping down from 400 to run the 200. The last thing I want to say about this is that nothing in track is guaranteed. And so when folks are hyping up somebody who has never run on the international stage like this, it really rubs me the wrong way. When you're ignoring these women who've done it repeatedly over and over again because nothing is guaranteed. Ask Trayvon Brummel. Like, he won pretty much everything this year in the 100 meters. And where is he? Did not make the final. Yeah, that was a shocking men's 100 meter. Like, this has happened time and again where we've seen Forever Marion Jones, there is a Trayvon Brummel. And then some. These things are not easy to do. I cast your mind back again to the 19 number one songs on the Billboard Hot 100. (laughs) And the last, last thing I want to say is that we need to remember Merlene Joyce Ati. She is and always will be the blueprint for Jamaican athletics. All these women who are having all this success, the 10, 10 of the last 12 medals awarded in the Women's 100 over the last four games, they are part of the great lineage, the history of Jamaican track athletics. And Merle Nati is the one who blazed the path for all of them. And I have not seen her name near enough over the last week with all these great achievements that have been happening. Same too for the recently retired Veronica Campbell-Brown. These women stand on their shoulders. So thank you for sitting through our athletics wrap up. Mm-hmm. It was really just one event. Uh, we'll hopefully be talking about the, don't want to jinx anything, but the women's four by 100 meter relay in our next episode. Because we've had a very bad run. For some Ooh. reason, Jamaica always has the best team, but is cursed in that event. Thanks for listening and coming back to us after a few weeks. I am James. I'm at Elliot JMR on Twitter. Two L's, two T's. I'm Jonathan at tennis underscore John. And you can find the body serve at the body serve on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, again, we are selling merch on redbubble.com. Mm-hmm. Shout out to John and Philip. Wow. Who, who put themselves on Instagram with our clothing. Yeah. I mean, you, you'd have to pay a lot for that kind of modeling. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you guys. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.